Good morning, Sangha. So this morning I am going to give some instructions about how to practice with the third foundation of mindfulness, which is mindfulness of mind, mental states, emotions. But before we start, I guess we're already started. So let's take a moment to just reflect on our own goodness for all of us being here. That's part of metta or loving kindness towards ourselves is to know when you're doing something good and allow yourself to feel really good about that. So let's do that right now. Let's just reflect on our own goodness for us all being here. It's pretty, excuse my language, badass. (laughs) Yes. We're doing a good thing. It doesn't have to feel good. It doesn't have to be easy. Even if you left here having a miserable time, it's still an incredibly important and meaningful and good karmic thing that we're all doing. And when you do practice like this, it's an act of love for ourselves. We're loving ourselves. This is what it feels like. So there's a paradox in our practice around the third foundation of mindfulness. We have emotions and thoughts, lots and lots of thoughts and mind states. And thinking is an essential tool for being alive. It's an essential tool. But going back to what's even before thinking or emotions is the principle or idea of knowing. Awareness. Awareness doesn't have any um, any content in it that is problematic or difficult. Some schools of our beloved Theravada early Buddhist tradition think that awareness itself <clears throat> is tranquil, luminous, and unadorned. So we have all of these thoughts and emotions and mind states arising because of causes and conditions. It's all um, causes and conditions. The 
background of why things arise. But what's knowing those things is tranquil, luminous, and calm. So even though thinking is an essential tool for life, it can be an impediment to us experiencing our lives fully when we're thinking too much. Our tradition, the Theravada tradition, uses the word papancha a lot. I love papancha because I recognize it very, very well. (laughs) That's just mental proliferation about something that you know, isn't really adding anything to our lives in the moment and absolutely is taking away from us experiencing the truth of the moment. Just being on a thinking binge. But there is a way through this paradox. How do we get through this paradox? So what we need to do is recognize the experience of getting caught in thought and learn to relate to our thinking in a wise way. What is a thought? It's an energetic blurb and a little energetic release. And I'm sure many of us have seen what our thoughts are to know that at least 60 or 70% of it is total nonsense. Or is that just me? (laughs) Okay, maybe 90% is total nonsense. (laughs) So through the third foundation of mindfulness, we are getting to recognize what a thought is, to practice not getting caught in thought and learning to relate to our thinking, to our emotions, to our um, mind states in a loving and compassionate way, but absolutely not believing a lot of it. So I'm sure many of you have heard of the acronym RAIN. RAIN is a good tool for to remember when we're getting caught or think, you know, we don't know what to do. RAIN. So R uh, R stands for recognize. So we recognize what is happening right now. Could be, you know, I'm engulfed in romantic fantasy or in Vipassana Vendetta, hating the person sitting next to me, or (laughs) what other interesting uh, thoughts were arising in the moment, just to recognize what is happening right now. And A stands for allow, because remember, mindfulness is really the middle way. We're not denying anything or repressing anything but we're also not um, getting on the thought train. It's really a middle stance there. So, you know, we can even uh, say things that 
you know, offer an invitation for things to arise. Allow it to be just as it is. So that's R, recognize, A, allow. And then I, investigate. Remember, this is the second factor in the seven factors of awakening. Investigate. And you can even uh, send an intention to investigate by saying things like, may investigation arise. May interest arise in me right now. You're setting the intention for that to be part of you know, your strong mental factors, the ones that will help us navigate life. So we can investigate, and investigate emotions and thoughts isn't about, um, you know, going deeply into the story or allowing them to proliferate, proliferate. One interesting investigation would be to see what was the immediate preceding Um, cause or condition that prompted this particular train of thoughts to arise. Just to know the causes and conditions for these different mind states that that are having a home in our heart. That's it, they're living in our heart. And it's good for us to know what's living in there. So we investigate. The fourth is my favorite, which is non-identification. Recently, some people have renamed the end to nature. This is just nature happening. This is not personal. And whatever thoughts might arise, you know, feelings of uh, being a victim, of self-pity. Now I'm telling you my inner thought pattern here (laughs) or of um, you know whatever it is let's just reflect for a minute did any of us invent any of that did that exist before we had this proliferation of thoughts about it actually when that uh, things like that happen when I do get find myself in a very big uh, papancha ball, one way that I like to investigate non-identification or not-self of it is to do a little bit of Tong Lin practice, which is, of course, from our beloved Tibetan um, Vajrayana tradition, which is just to step back and think, how many other people on the planet right now are having romantic fantasy or feelings of being victimized or feelings of not good enough or can't do this or whatever? And just allow yourself to bask in this exquisite club, an exquisite worldwide club of people who are outraged at this moment who are deluded at this moment. It's not personal. And then one of my other 
um, responses to a lot of proliferation or not having a lot of um, insight into what thinking is happening or emotions or mind states is to just reflect on the three uh, conditions, the three um, conditions of existence as the three P's, I like to say. Not perfect, not permanent, not personal. Whenever you get, are getting mad about something that didn't go right, of course it didn't go right. <laughs> of course it wasn't perfect. Of course it wasn't permanent. That's its inherent nature. All conditioned things have those three conditions as part of their inner workings. Nothing is perfect, nothing is permanent, nothing is personal. So I just want to briefly go over the components of an emotion. There's thoughts or the story about the emotion or what's going on. Then there's physical sensations, how the emotions manifest themselves in the body. All emotions have some physical correlate. This is how we know we're having an emotion, is something physical is going on in us. So we want to look for, specifically investigate, non-conceptually. We can use concepts to name things as we're seeing them. You know, we can name our perceptual screen. If we have a lot of sadness that wants to be released or anger that wants to be released, those will actually uh, put a perceptual screen over how we're seeing the world. So we want to honor those emotions. And emotions just want to be felt before they can go, before they can be released. So honor them, know them. Do sobbing meditation and stomping meditation, but just make sure no one else is harmed by it. And just know that is, that's happening in the moment. So mindfulness of mind um, specifically has uh, three components to it. Seeing whether... Thoughts and emotions are being triggered by greed or wanting something, wanting, you know, wanting something that's not happening. Know if thoughts are arising because of ill will or aversion. Are these aversive thoughts? What's happening here? And feeling the aversion on the emotional level, the physical level, with thoughts it produces knowing if thoughts or emotions are being triggered by delusion, not understanding what's happening in the moment, confusion. And then also knowing if our thoughts are wholesome and, you know, feeding that wolf. And then it's important to know a contracted mind as contracted Any of the hindrances in the mind are a contracted mind. 
So, I mean, it can be as simple as that. Is my mind contracted? And what does that feel like in the body, in the heart? What thoughts does that give rise to? Give rise to? And we can, you know, use our conceptual mind to name those things. But don't think that <clears throat> if you have said, oh, that's anger, because oftentimes there's more than just one thing in there. And usually when we can't stop thinking, it's because we haven't realized or seen very clearly the complex nature of the thoughts that are arising. It could be that it's anger and grief at the same time, or anger and self-pity at the same time. So don't think that, you know, we've solved the puzzle, because that too is also impermanent. You know, it will change. And, you know, we can be mindfulness of mind. In fact, that's my favorite thing to do walking around in the world, is to be mindful of mind. So let's just sit. And let's use mindfulness of mind as our anchor. Or we can first start with building up a little bit of uh, samadhi or collected mind. Maybe do a body scan or anchor our attention in the breath at the belly. All of these things are smart brother up the road, Venerable Anayas says, all of these things, all of the four foundations should be known within a whole body awareness. You know, knowing that we are thinking within these bodies, within a whole body awareness. So let's just start by feeling our whole body. Yes, there is a body Let's do a while with our anchor, whether it's the breath or hearing, within a whole body awareness. We can use metta phrases or any of the Brahma-vihara phrases as an anchor at the beginning of our sits as well. So once we have developed some stability of awareness, one thing we do is open awareness. 
Some people call it choiceless awareness. This wonderful teacher, Winnie Nazarko, calls it predominance. I love that term that I learned from her. To just be open, rest in spacious awareness, not doing anything, just awareness is like this. And then let mindfulness pick the object. What is most predominant in your experience? Seeing the beginning, middle, and ending of what we are noticing, what mindfulness is observing, what mindfulness is collecting data on. We can turn our attention to mental factors. Can we see a thought arising? Can we feel in our body an emotion arising?
what's happening with our minds right now. Are we solving problems or worrying? Sometimes thoughts can be very, very subtle. Is there an emotion in the body? What are we knowing right now?
How do thoughts and emotions and mind states feel in the body? Where can we feel them? What's the feeling tone? Is it pleasant? Maybe unworldly pleasant? as meditation is at times, unpleasant? Is it neutral? Are there any hindrances in the mind and heart? Any awakening factors, calm and tranquility? investigation and effort.
if an emotion is arising that may be overwhelming, you, one expression of self-care, self-compassion, is to say to the emotion, thank you, but not now. You can open your eyes and look around the room, look for something pleasant to rest in. coming back to the heart when there's strength there and then letting go of that object looking for something to rest in and titrating between those two objects of awareness.
So are there any questions about the practice? Yes? The opposite? Oh, yeah. So the question is, what do you do when you're doing metta practice and the opposite arises? That's actually, in my view, kind of a good sign that you're really doing the practice because it's said that um, metta is like uh, cold water dropping on like a fireball of anger or whatever. And I think... You know, that's a very common experience. I remember sitting a, uh, it was a concentration retreat with Lee Brasington, and I was doing metta as a concentration practice, because it is. And I had like two or three or four sits where I was just enraged. And I think it's just, you know, um, when we do metta, we're much, uh, or any of the verily positive you know, cultivating positive qualities, one of the things that it offers us is to see much more clearly what is not that in here. So it really highlights and makes big all of the anger and aversion and annoyance that's there. So I would say just to continue to practice and let those small drops of water of metta cool down that ball of rage that is not personal, not permanent, and not perfect. Yeah. Anybody else, has anyone else felt a lot of rage while doing meta practice? Right? Look around, look around. <laughs> it's a common experience, yeah. But I think that means that you're really doing the practice when that happens. Yeah, that's good. Yeah. Yes? Mm-hmm. And that manifests as something else. So many thoughts that I can't even keep track. So it's hard for me to even notice when a thought's arising, when it, what it is, and when it ends because it's happening so quickly. Mm-hmm. Um, so, any tips? I would say for that that you probably need to uh, do some more samadhi practice because samadhi practice really sharpens our ability to, you know, it. You know, mindfulness is like a, or a vipassana is like a magnifying glass, right? And the stronger the concentration is, the bigger that, you know, the bigger the scope of the being able to see is, the more clearly you can see. So I would say maybe go back to uh, your anchor for a while. Definitely go back to your anchor. What do you use as your anchor? Breath. The breath as your anchor. Does that work for you? Uh, so the breath works 50% of the time you might try body scanning or try uh, metta phrases or some other Brahma Vihar phrases as a way to um, you know get a little bit more collectedness of mind 
because usually if you know all of these things are happening we want to go back to some grounding do you have any response to that she is so smart okay i i would say it would depend on what you mean by restlessness if it sounds like it's a mental thing it is it is the body also got a lot of energy in it um, not too much actually i can keep still it's more Okay, so it's mental, and it's thoughts that are going by very quickly. Do they have a theme? Yeah. Sometimes, mostly, usually, it's projecting into the future. Okay, so it's like planning, planning, planning. Does that have a wanting in it or a worry? Yeah, both. Both wanting and a worry, and in the looking at the thoughts related to the past. Yeah, usually just like a worry. I did something wrong. Okay, so I, I'm hearing worry and maybe a little agitation in the system. So you would want, what Bonnie said, you know, you would want to go in the direction of calming, calming the system. And sometimes that can, that can mean giving the system something particular that's soothing to feed upon, whether that's the metaphrases or the breath. Mm-hmm. But sometimes, paradoxically, it can calm itself by, uh, through discharge of energy. So I would look to the walking periods and see what's going on there and see if you can maybe even move the body more quickly than you normally would and give yourself a chance to blow off some of the cortisol. Hmm, that's good. That darn cortisol. (laughs) (laughs) But that saved our lives, you know, when we were cave people, right? I was... And that's, yeah. And, you know, one of the things, too, that reminds me of is... uh, that whole negativity bias, right? That, you know, we still have that amygdala that is always looking for danger everywhere. And um, as, you know, Winnie was alluding to, you know, it's good to, because there are, you know, some a lot of the thoughts are very repetitive. It's like our habit, you know, what are our habits of thinking? To actually name those. And, you know, treat it like Mara. You know, Mara is delusion is and you could say I see you worry I see you work planning you know and see and hold it with some love like I know you're trying to help me but not now Monday afternoon we'll hang out you know yeah thank you yes Uh, the question is, if you're very calm and restful, is that the time that we try to dissolve attachments? Actually, you know what? We, or I, does not dissolve the attachment. Wisdom dissolves the attachment. So, And wisdom arises given the right causes and conditions. We're not the one that does it. You know, we can go into psychotherapy and do it, or... <laughs> You know, maybe work out some things. But uh, I would say if you're very calm and uh, not thinking a lot, you should really focus on that calm and not thinking. And, you know, that's a mind state that we want to turn into a mind trait. So just rest in that. Rest in spacious awareness. You know, really take it in all over the body. Maybe do a body scan about how that makes the body feel. 
and really rest in it, you know, and know that it's there. Just feel it as strongly as you can. You know, not greedy, but just trying to strengthen that as a mental factor. And um, just make sure that you're noticing that fully as you can. And uh, maybe seeing if there's some dimensions of it. You know, how does that feel in the heart? How does that feel in the mind? You know, just really sink it in like that. And just rest in spacious awareness. Because it usually doesn't last all that long. (laughs) Does that make sense? Yes? I often find myself working. So I'm meditating and then my mind wanders to work. Mm -hmm. And then I begin to work. I begin to think about work, process work, and plan and worry and figure things out about work. Reread emails in my head. Yeah. (laughs) And uh, then I catch myself and become pretty good at just acknowledging that and labeling it. Excellent. And then when I get frustrated with myself for, you know, why am I always doing this? Why can't I just show up and meditate? I try to apply meta to that, which is great. But then I find myself uh, quickly explaining why it's okay to be that way. Yeah. Back to work. Right. (laughs) So any, any thoughts on how to sort of apply meta without it being just a clandestine way of saying it's okay to keep doing what I'm doing. Right. Well, I think that part of it is, I think I would go to Vedana or Feeling Tone, because part of it is, you, uh, I find that my, the propensity to start thinking for me starts when I have neutral Feeling Tone. You know, when uh, sometimes you can experience that as boredom, and other times you can experience that as calm. So you can investigate like what is triggering that mental proliferation. And uh, you know, you can ask your heart that too. I've been sitting a lot with Ajahn Suchito for the last few years and he's always shaking his finger at me saying, You don't give enough authority to chitta, which is to our heart. You know, we don't give enough authority to that and we're letting our thinking mind run our lives. And it could be that, you know, given your social location and, you know, us all striving to be number one and be top, that, you know, that's part of your motivation. And, you know, of course you think that's a good thing. And, you know, we've taken these two, you know, two and a little bit on either side short days to develop this other way of knowing, And you're essentially saying, I don't care about that other way of knowing. I'm going to think. You know, to to think about what that decision means for your own value system. Because I think it's, you know, you wouldn't be here if you didn't value this. To, you know, ask your heart, you know, what do I need to do to just come back to this practice right here? And I think it's also intention. You know, uh, setting a deep intention to... Uh, cultivate these skills of um, awareness and, you know, much more clear discernment of what's happening. So um, I would say that is to, you know, look at that 
you know, to be honest, it's greed in the mind, right? It's greed of wanting to make sure that I do my job the best that I can, or it's some egoic clinging to want to be known that we're doing that good or whatever. I'm sure in a lot of instances it could be related to deeper motivations for helping or, um, uh, you know, whatever doing your job you know, a higher value for that. But intuitive awareness and discernment is the thing that will absolutely help you do that better. Maybe that's what you need to contemplate on. How this practice will help you be so, will contribute to that. Uh, But it really takes letting go of thinking in order to build those skills and to uh, strengthen that intuitive awareness and strengthen that discernment. Does that make sense? Do you believe that mindfulness and discernment could be useful? Well, it probably doesn't help that I'm a therapist. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Well, how does that interfere with it? A big part of my work is being mindful and teaching mindfulness. And the other part of my work is also thinking about how to help people, which I find difficult letting go of when I've walked away. Mm-hmm. Oh my, oh my gosh, you know. Okay, I'm going to tell you, I'm going to end with this one story, which is so important. In fact, I do a fair amount of trainings on um, burnout and now moral injury. I love that term, moral injury. Um, and there's a story in the suttas that actually, uh, again, the Venerable Analyo, it, it's the first chapter of his book, um, uh, compassion and emptiness, and I think that book is free. If you Google compassion and emptiness space PDF, you'll go to it to download. <laughs> and the first chapter is about this one sutta that says uh, there are four types of people. The first person is someone who doesn't help uh, himself or herself or themselves and doesn't help others, and that's kind of like the lowest level of helpsomeness. But the second level just up from that is someone who helps other people and doesn't help themselves. And even better than that, I mean more wholesome than that, is someone who who only helps themselves and doesn't help other people. Isn't that interesting? I know. I thought that was fascinating. And that's in the sutta. And then of course the highest level, the most wholesome is of the person who helps themselves and other people as well and probably doesn't see the distinction of that. So I think that, uh, you know, you getting stronger mindfulness and, uh, you know, resting and seeing what what clear discernment is and seeing what mindfulness really is um, will help you help other people better. You know, that's what's in there. And actually, we all know, too, that uh, the impact of any mindfulness training is partly determined by the strength of the practice of the person who's teaching it. You know, we all know that. So it's important to know that your practice is really secure and that you've seen the, um, you know, just... For me, it's kind of a sense of awe, the awe of the practice and the discernment of it. And, you know, we can only do that by letting go of conceptual thought over and over again. Yes? 
Last one. Uh huh. I can't hear you. When I start to meditate, uh, when people around me hear moves or make some noise, uh-huh. that kinds of um, it's, it's, the noise is too huge for me that I kind of feel very disturbed. And, uh, you feel very disturbed by it. Well. Yeah, well, that's exactly what, you know, that's what mindfulness does. It actually magnifies our reactions to things, and it magnifies what uh, we're taking in. You know, it's making your microscope or your magnifying glass a lot larger. So, you know, I think uh, because people are going to move around, I mean, no one can stay perfectly still, and people do cough and things like that. I think it's... Uh, maybe turning to yourself and just, you know, you know, calming yourself down and feeling, you know, generating some meta for yourself to just be able to realize that all conditions are imperfect. You know, this is the expression of imperfection for you at this moment, that, you know, these things are really getting under your skin. And to be able just to take them in and say, oh, this is, this is what Dukkha looks like right now. And just rest in that with some uh, clarity and a little bit of calm. Yeah, you know, we can't tell everybody, nobody move. (laughs) Yeah. So, but that's good that, you know, in a way it's a sign that your mindfulness is getting stronger. So it's not a bad thing that you're seeing there. I mean, that's a sign for me when things start bugging me more. I know my mindfulness is getting stronger because it's magnifying everything. And that lets it see what what's working in here in ways that we can't see when our discernment is not as strong as that. I would say, hey, right on. <laughs> I'm getting bugged by everything. I've got strong mindfulness, yeah. <laughs> and then, you know, the other thing you can do, and this is something I learned from Jack Cornfield sitting on his practice interviews a lot. He'll advise people to actually ask... So, Calmness and serenity to arise. May calm arise. May serenity arise. May strong mindfulness arise. You know, and just set the conditions for that to be part of it as well. Oh, we're out of time. We really are out of time. We're going to actually have questions and answers, actually. Winnie and I are having a question and answer section at, session at 11.30. Oh, my gosh. So please all, and you'll be first. (laughs) So please, if you have any questions, please come in at 11.30 and we'll talk about that. Was there any announcements? No. So this is such a precious opportunity that you've all, you know, a precious gift you've given yourselves for this whole day of practice. So let's really be in the ceremony and... uh, do the practice as well as we can and love ourselves while we're doing it. Thank you.